0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On Air.
1: It's Creature Feature, a spotlight on one of the Wildlife Hospital Dunedin's extra special guests. And we welcome once again to the show Wildlife Hospital Trust Manager Jordana White. Morena, great to have you with us, Jordana.
0: Morena, Jess, nice to be here.
1: We're going to be talking about another winged guest for the hospital this time tell us what is our creature for today
0: today we are talking about a very small red crowned kakariki now that is otherwise known as a parakeet okay there we go
1: parakeet so um, how much uh, do we know about these do we see them around the place very much
0: so we don't really see them in dunedin there's really only one place you can see them at the moment sort of outside which is at the dunedin botanic garden so they have, if, you've, if you if visited the gardens, you know that there are some aviaries there um, as, as part of the campus. And the kakariki are there as part of a conservation breeding program along with some other native species. So they are in aviaries, but you can go and see them. Um, they are on display. And we have a partnership with the Botanic Garden, so we take care of their native, the birds in their native collection. And they do some rehab for us of some of our former patients and some special aviaries that are off display. So we have a nice partnership with them, and from time to time, they have birds in their native collection that maybe need some medical attention, and that's the case here with this little red crown kakariki that we took care of for them. Um, it was a fledgling, and what that means is that it just had just gotten its adult feathers and was ready to take off from the nest. And sometimes, when birds reach that stage, they don't always you know, have, a, have a bit of a failure to launch at first not always a successful mission the first time.
1: Gosh, I can only imagine um, how terrifying it is for a, a bird to learn to fly for the first time, making that leap literally. And uh, yes, as you say, I, I imagine that's um, that's make or break for, for some, isn't it? Some don't even get past that first attempt.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's all in. You have one chance at that, taking that first flight, really. Um, in this case, thankfully, more than, more than one chance because the um, aviary curator just happened to be there when this uh, little kakariki decided it was going to go for it, um, didn't, didn't quite make it. Um, so it bonked it. The the technical term is conquest of the bonkus. It conked its head on something. not (laughs) obviously. Um, it, it yet had a little bit of an interrupted flight, unfortunately. Um, but thankfully, uh, she was able to just scoop it up and get, get it to us right away. Um, What's that? Now, are you familiar with these birds, Jeff? Well, so no, tell us a little bit.
1: Absolutely. Tell us the the physical characteristics of these parakeets because yeah. uh, parakeets come in kind of all sizes, don't they?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this is a, a, considered a medium sized parakeet. So it's about 70 to 80 grams. Um, and if you're having a hard time picturing that, which is fair enough, um, your typical little pet budgie uh, is about half that size. So it's medium sized. Um, and as some of your listeners will know, kakariki is the Tereo word for green, the color green. Which is really fitting because this is a beautiful emerald green bird uh, across most of its body, um, but as the name would suggest, it has a red crown. So right on the top of its head has some bright red feathers and a little bit of band of that same red um, just behind the eyes. So there are a few different species of uh, kakariki that are native to New Zealand. That's the red crowned. There's also the yellow crowned, which is pretty much looks identical, except as again as the name suggests. Instead of those red feathers, it's yellow feathers on the top of its head. Um, so, the, yeah, they are – they used to be widespread, all four types of parakeet. Um used to be all across New Zealand. I can imagine pre-settling, pre-settler times that the, the place would just be covered in flocks of these beautiful, colorful birds. Um, but now they're pretty much gone from the mainland with a few notable exceptions. Um, Zealandia and Wellington, it, which is similar to Orokanui here um, – they have some spillover from their sanctuary so that you can actually see some kakariki in urban Wellington, which is pretty cool. Uh, but other than that, they're mostly on offshore islands uh, where predators are controlled. Um, for example, I saw my very first kakariki in the wilds when I was down on Senua Ho, codfish island in December, uh, working with a the team there. So there are opportunities to see them, just not too many on the mainland yet.
1: All right, so the parakeets that we sometimes see flying uh, around parts of Dunedin, particularly North Dunedin, they're our Australian cousins, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they might be, um, and then sometimes there will be some potentially escaped pets as well. Um, you may be seeing uh, Rosellas. Rosellas, yeah. There are yeah. some Rosellas. Yeah, that, those are, in fact, Australian cousins. That's right. Um, and there are in there, there are certainly some in Otago. I've seen Rosellas there, and they do sometimes fly around, as you say, that kind of halo area around uh, North Dunedin. Yep. Um, but they wouldn't be the Kakariki. We don't quite have those yet here in Dunedin. Um but more on that in a minute. Uh so this this little guy, I'll just tell you a little bit more about this patient. Um, you know, he's quite young, as I said, as a fledgling, so just, just past that chick stage. Um so was, I I talked to Alicia Sheriff, who's a curator up at DBG, and she said that when when they're that young, it's really hard to kind of gauge what their personalities are like. So we, I can't really tell you too much about what this little one was like other than very brave <laughs> and not very successful in his first life. Um, but generally speaking, Kakariki are really social birds. Um, as I mentioned, they travel in flocks. So they're used to being around all of their mates all the time. And they're really busy little birds. They're always up to something. They're always moving around. They're always foraging. They love to eat. And they love to eat just about anything. So they're always on the go looking for something tasty to eat. Um, they're omnivorous, so they eat both plants and bugs. And this really keeps the botanic garden staff on their toes because they have to provide a constant source of varied food for these birds in their aviaries. Um, but the botanic garden is, of course, pretty well placed to have a lot of different browse available to them. So they get uh, they source all of that food from their both their native section, the native plantings, and also that Australian border, if you've been there, um, because the kakariki are really not that fussy about what they eat, so they're not going to turn their nose up at Australian food. So they're um, yeah, always on the go looking for logs, uh, berries, branches, leaves, anything for the kakariki to keep themselves busy, which is great, Um, but also makes them... Really fun to go and look at, so if you next time you're at the botanic garden, head up to the aviary and go look at the flock of Kakariki there because they're always up to something. Some of the other birds there might be taking a nap, they might be a little shy around people, but not so the Kakariki, so check them out. Um, let's Should we talk a little bit about threats? to the kakariki and why we don't have them in Dunedin.
1: Yeah, I mean with them being able to sustain themselves off um, a pretty wide um, range of food sources, is that not clearly one of the issues?
0: Yeah, the food source is, is less of an issue. They, you know, as you say, they, they go across a lot of different habitats um, normally naturally all over New Zealand um, but the, the main culprit for their disappearance on the mainland is unsurprising introduced predators. So these are birds that tend to ground nest, or they de- nest in dense vegetation that might be close to the ground. They do sometimes use hollows in trees, but they'll kind of just take any opportunity they can that looks good. And unfortunately, that makes them especially vulnerable to cats, rats, and stoats. So that's really what has demolished the population across the mainland is those introduced predators. Um, so it it is actually. Very attainable for us to return kakariki to the mainland if we can just control those introduced predators, and that is very true here in Dunedin as well. So the, the kakariki are at the at the Botanic Garden. They're there as part of a breeding program. The hope is eventually, once we get our predator numbers down, that the the population in the aviary there can be used to foster eggs from the wild. That just kind of diversifies the the genetics that are in at play. Um, kakariki lend themselves really well to being foster parents they'll take on any egg or any chick that's brought to them so they, they're not fussy about that they're happy to raise those young so they're actually really perfect for that that type of reintroduction but what we really have to do is get those predator numbers down
1: and that's a universal theme really across uh, most of the discussions we've been having in this series isn't it
0: it really is yeah it's, it's it's variation on a theme not actually that very not actually that varied in this case um, yeah it's it's Pretty easy to get involved in trapping, especially here in Dunedin. We have that really robust predator-free Dunedin goal and that program. There are three different groups working under that banner. Um, there's City Sanctuary, which is right here in the center of the city, which is where the Town Belt and the um, Botanic Garden are. There's Halo Project, which is around Otakanui, And then there's the Otago Peninsula, Peninsula Biodiversity Group, they can get you prepared with traps, they can give you advice on, on where to put them, instructions on how to use them and support if you have questions or concerns or you don't like taking dead animals out of traps, they can support you with that. Um, so it's really possible for all of us to play a part in getting those predator numbers down and getting getting ready to introduce these birds back into the city.
1: Let's talk about um, our, our other friends in, uh, in the household, and cats, and this is, you know again, uh, uh, I'm sure... Animal lovers uh, love to have their pet cats, and they would hate to think that their cats are contributing to a problem uh, of this sort. Um, but they don't want to give up their cats. So, so, yeah. yep. so I, what it, do we do? It
0: is sensitive. Yep, yeah, it's sensitive. I, I know that people, and I love all animals. I love cats as well, so I do understand. Um, it's it's just going to take a bit of a, a bit a, a cultural shift, I think, in the way we think about cats. It's fine to have a cat. It, I, I don't think anybody's suggesting that we should phase them out altogether as companions, um, but I think there's there needs to be a shift, a transition, more indoor cats. Um, we're used to just letting our moggies roam in Dunedin, and we need to, to kind of nip that in the bud. Um, people can build a catio. I know people who have um, you know structures that, that their cat can go outside, but they're contained inside that structure, and it's usually attached to the house, so they can come in and out as they please. Um, there are these ridiculous-looking Elizabethan collars for cats that are actually quite effective um, because it, they're made in bright colors and they move when the cat moves, so that it alerts birds to the cat's presence, um, putting bells in those collars on your cats. But you know, we really, as a country, we have to confront what cats do to our native bird population, and I, we have not had a reckoning about that yet. Um, there's a lot of research. There's even local research from the University of Otago about Dunedin cats and how much native wildlife they're killing. Um, It is quite startling, and I know it's confronting for people that don't want to think of their cats as killing machines, but that's what they are. That's what they do. It's not their fault. Um, But, you know, if we want to protect birds like this little fledgling that came to us, you know, we have to do that. We have to think about that and start transitioning. And I will say I I should give you a quick update because I didn't mention it. The little fledgling is fine. We gave him an X-ray. He didn't have any injuries. He went back with Alicia to the garden to hopefully try again and have more success next time.
1: Oh, well, that's good news. Um, You also wanted to talk about the Town Belt Bird Count Trail.
0: Yes, this is a brand new thing in Dunedin. It's pretty cool. Um, It's a a joint project with Birds NZ and City Sanctuary. City Sanctuary, as I mentioned before, is that trapping program um, under Predator Free Dunedin. And this is a a cool new way to help us understand the impact of that trapping that I was talking about um, in in the town belt. So, you know, we have this really amazing asset in Canadian with our town belt, a string of beautiful uh, green natural area for people to walk and cycle through. Um, And there are now a series of 10 signs threaded along that green belt uh, where the public can help count birds living in the town belt. So there are all the signs run from Prospect Park along Queens Drive um, all the way to near Jubilee Park, so kind of across the whole, um, the whole range. And at each sign, it, you, you stop, and there's a QR code. You scan the QR code, and you just add, add a couple of notes in the, in the fields about what's happening, what, what day is it, what, what's the weather like. And then for five minutes, you stand there, and you count how many birds you can see, what kind of birds you can see, and what birds you can hear. And it provides a snapshot in time of what's happening in that town belt. And over the years, we'll really start to understand the impact of the trapping as bird numbers go up. Um, so it's great. You can go to one sign. You can go to all the signs. You can go to them in any order, however you like to do it. Um, they're quite accessible. So if you're a wheelchair user or you have a pram, you can get to most of those signs. Um, or you can bike or um, drive to them as well. And it's just going to give us a really, good, a really good picture of what's happening out there and what impacts we're having. And eventually, hopefully, we can include Kakariki in those bird counts.
1: Well, if you needed another excuse to take a walk through our beautiful town, belt, there it is. Um, yeah, I came across one of those signs just the other day and I uh, thought, ah, thought that was wonderful. So, um, great. Well, it's all um, on our shoulders, isn't it? As so many things are in our world at the moment, it is really a time to stop, consider, and really uh, implement actual change. And um, we've talked about some of that on today's edition of the creature feature here on the Awesome Morning Show with Jordana White from uh, Wildlife Hospital Dunedin. Jordana, we'll let you get back to that busy day of caring for these wonderful creatures. We look forward to hearing about another guest when we catch up next time. Thanks, Jeff. See you next time. The Wildlife Hospital Dunedin treats sick and injured native New Zealand species right here in the heart of Aotearoa's wildlife capital. Their expert veterinary team patches up more than 500 patients every year, returning the majority of them back to the wild where they belong. You can learn more about the hospital, including ways to support this charitable trust, at wildlifehospitaldunedin.org.au or follow their Facebook page for more fabulous creature content.
0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.